We are Harvard Ventures, and this is The Bottom Line, a podcast about entrepreneurship, innovation, and everything in between. I'm Jessica, and today we are speaking with special guest Alexa Von Tobel, founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital and a New York Times bestselling author. Prior to Inspired Capital, Alexa founded LearnVest in 2008 with the goal of helping people make progress on their money. After raising nearly $75 million in venture capital, LearnVest was acquired by Northwestern Mutual and one of the biggest fintech acquisitions of the decade. Alexa has appeared on the cover of Forbes magazine, been interviewed on NPR's How I Built This, and been featured in a wide variety of publications from the New York Times to Vogue. She is a member of the 2016 Class of Henry Crown Fellows and is an inaugural member of President Obama's Ambassadors for Global Entrepreneurship. Now let's get to the bottom line. Okay, fantastic. Um, so thanks so much for joining us today. Um, and we wanted to start off with a question about your early years and how you founded um, LearnVest, which was after you had attended Harvard Business School for a period of time before you dropped out in 2008. Um, for our listeners who may not know, LearnVest is an online financial advisory firm. So how did you come to the decision to drop out and found LearnVest? Sure. Um, so I think I'll rewind and just say, so I was Harvard undergrad, class of 2006. Uh, and I think I'd always been an entrepreneur. I had this real entrepreneurial bug. Um, it also helped that, you know, people like Mark Zuckerberg were in my class. And so when you see just like exceptional entrepreneurship like that, um, you know, definitely in your mind. Um, and then I'd gotten into Harvard Business School when I was a senior. So I was one of the guinea pigs who kind of got in early and I uh, had two years to defer um, so, so in general, um, I think I was really entrepreneurial undergrad when I was really excited to, to go build this idea i had had around LearnVest. Um, I then spent a brief stint at a company that got acquired by Facebook and, uh, I was working on LearnVest nights and weekends. Um, and I always joke, I was, you know, customer number one, right? I was sitting there, um, with like a big wall street job. And I remember thinking to myself, how is it possible that I don't know how many credit cards I should have? I don't know what I should afford in rent. I don't understand the difference between an IRA and a 401k, but I'm clearly capable and I'm clearly good at math and I'm clearly, um, you know, uh, smart, but I don't feel like I know where to go to manage my money. And I just remember thinking to myself, that's preposterous that I could be, um, you know, I could have such a good education and not be aware of it. So LearnVest was born, um, nights and weekends. Um, I started working on a business plan to build basically TurboTax for financial planning. So a place where you could go to manage everything else around your money. Um, and by the time that I had to go to HBS, I had deferred already uh, for, for the two years. Um, you know, they had said you could only defer one more year. And I knew I really needed two to try to get my company up and running. So I had to enroll. And when I enrolled, it was the fall of 2008. And so not a dissimilar time to right now in 2020, when the world's really chaotic and quite uncertain, Lehman Brothers went under. And I remember that fall thinking to myself, oh my God, the world is in economic collapse. This is the best time on the planet to go launch a startup that's focused on the American wallet and helping people get access to better advice. And I'll, I'll end by saying, you know, I had this really deep instinct when everybody zigs, zag. And when everybody zigs and runs for shelter, that's the time to be bold, take risk and be a little, um, you know, thoughtfully not, you know, jumping off a cliff, but like having a business plan and being really, really methodical about taking the risk. Um, I kind of said to myself, 
I think this is the right thing to go do. And that's what I'm going to go do. And so, um, dropped out, uh, December 18th of 2008, I decided to take a formal five-year leave of absence from HBS and, and go found LearnVest. Fantastic. Um, so we want to expand a little bit more about your experiences in not only founding a startup as, as a young adult, um, but also in adapting to the circumstances of the recession um, and fundraising for your startup during this difficult time. Um, so what was the most valuable lesson that you learned from the experience of being a recession entrepreneur? And how do you think we can relay that into learnings for the present day? Yeah, I mean, I love that. And that one thing I will just say, um, being a recession entrepreneur is a skill set that I don't think I'll ever lose. And so remember, I founded LearnVest uh, and technically in 2007 and then dropped out in 2008 to launch it. Uh, I founded Inspired Capital um, uh, you know, last year and also, you know, no surprise, then like a massive uh, economic impact with COVID is happening. Um, and, you know, so really I'm two for two, right? Two, two companies I've launched have happened right as a massive economic crisis has, has, has unfolded. Um, and one thing I'll just say, and I bring the same thing to Inspired Capital, the $200 million venture fund um, that, that, you know, we run at in New York, um, it's the same skill set. I pretend every dollar is mine. There is not a single detail that is not worth my attention. And that doesn't mean that I paid equal attention to everything. You know, there are certain things that I, I spend more time and attention on, but, um, you know, I still operate as though every single dollar that, you know, when I was standing up LearnBest, it was my own savings. I put a lot of my own savings into Inspired Capital. And one thing that my investors and, and our teammates can all trust is that I operate as though almost every single dollar of the business is my same dollar. And I think it, it, it everything matters. There's not a single thing that we do um, that I don't care about. And I think that that brings just a, a different level of attention and focus um, when you just operate as though uh, every penny in the business is, is your own savings. Uh, because again, with LearnBest, it literally was. I stood up the the company out of my own savings account because I didn't know how else to get the business up and running. Um, and that wasn't because I was fancy, by the way. I only had my bonuses from, from my jobs post-college, and that was all the money I put into it. Um, and I think what's really important to say about that is um, it brings out uh, this level of focus on if I have one more dollar to spend, what is the most valuable place to put it? Not where would I like to put it, but what is the most valuable place that will get me to another milestone? Um, and it really is that kind of repeated exercise that I think is, is pretty critical. The other thing about being a recession entrepreneur is that you, I always joke, I always have a plan A, B, C, D, like at all times. The world can get worse tomorrow and we've got a plan for it. And that type of con con consistent strategic thinking and strategic agility is really important because when the world inevitably could go sideways, right? Anything could always happen. Um, we aren't flat-footed. We, we have a game plan of how we would handle it. And we prep our companies in that way. Um, and we always say, swing for the moon. Literally go swing to be a trillion-dollar business. But have a game plan in case the world also goes sideways. So it's the bimodal of swing massively, but also have a game plan in case every single thing that could go wrong at the same time does. And it gives you almost the, the comfort strategically to be able to swing that big because you know you've got your bases covered. It almost gives you more confidence that you also know you could survive if the world went sideways. So it, it gives you a sense of kind of the starvation mentality um, that we go to bat with, but don't misread that as we are also still swinging for the fences at all times. 
Yeah, and it seems to me that the idea of when you have a company treat each dollar, dollar like your own relates back to your fundamental motivations in founding LearnBest into helping people make progress on their money and learn how to manage that better. What is something that you wish more college students and young people understood about personal finance? So, I mean, the first thing I really wish is that we all were educated in school um, on personal finance. And, you know, financial literacy is honestly, it's like hygiene in the same way that you know that you should clean and take showers and brush your teeth. Um, your financial well-being is as vital, right? I always say money is a lifeline. Um, I wish it weren't true, but it is. Every day of your life, money will matter. Um, because it is how you put food on your table, you know, have a roof over your head, um, take care of any critical mistake that can happen to your family. Um, and as a result, it does matter. Um, and so I believe that we should all get a basic education in financial literacy so that you understand things like, so I, I gave a TED talk on this, um, but 1.8 million people graduate from college every year. And on average, about uh, every college graduate has about $30,000 in student debt and about $4,000 in credit card debt. And on average, they make about $35,000 a year right out of school. So if you think about that, most of the country enters their, 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 their real life, the working world, pretty much almost upside down financially. And if you think about that, that is not a good place to start your financial life. So I wish every kid in college understood that credit card debt is pretty permanent. Um, and that way we would know, let's not get it. It's not worth, you know, um, going out with your friends or um, buying that extra, you know, dress from Zara. If you knew that it would like really make an impact in your life for the next decade. Um, and it's those sort of things. So again, basic financial hygiene. Uh, and at LearnBest, one of the things that we really did, and keep my LearnBest got acquired by Northwestern Mutual for about $375 million. So we had a big exit. Um, and uh, it, you know, uh, they folded LearnBest into Northwestern Mutual. So a lot of what LearnBest built is now part of Northwestern Mutual, which is an incredible company. Um, but one of the things that's worth saying is, um, you know, we at LearnBest, we had all of this free content, all of these free tools to help advise the masses um, because I was you know, pretty abhorred by the fact that I couldn't believe it wasn't taught in college um, or even high school, um, basic financial literacy. So what I wish could happen for everybody is that everybody would go through a basic financial boot camp to understand your credit score really matters. Don't mess it up. Um, credit card debt is really dangerous. Don't mess it up. Emergency savings is vital. Retirement savings is everything. Um, and again, just the basics can really, really protect somebody uh, financially for the long haul. Yeah, I definitely agree there. And, and speaking from my own experience as a student who attends Harvard, I think the only thing that I've learned in traditional schooling that relates to personal finance was how to write a check in fifth grade. And that was probably the last time there was any formal teaching about that. So definitely resonates here in terms of the traditional education model and how LearnVest can help fill those gaps. Thanks, Jess. So LearnVest was acquired by Northwestern Mutual and one of the biggest fintech acquisitions of the decade. Is an acquisition like that as glamorous as it seems or what are some challenges you ran into as a founder when your company was being acquired? Um, so first of all, great question. Um, and I'll just start by saying uh, uh, everything I'm about to say out loud is possible to anybody that's listening. Um, one thing I, I like to say, I don't know that I was born with any like natural, like exceptional talents. 
Um, I believe in hard work. I believe in uh, you know high integrity, hard work every day. Uh, I believe in dreaming really big because nobody else is going to dream for you. Um, and then just taking each day one at a time and bringing 150% to hard work every day. And like good things will happen um, if you're a good person. And, and, and so uh, I'll start by saying I remember being somebody listening to somebody like me talking and thinking to myself, oh my God, that seems so unachievable. I can't believe that happened. Wow. How, how could somebody do that? And I just want to say out loud, know that everything I'm about to walk you through is achievable for anybody. Um, so learn best, uh, you know, uh, on our, basically our fifth birthday of being up and running, um, we ended up getting acquired, uh, for $375 million to Northwestern Mutual. Um, it was a wonderful experience that said it was like, so to, to your question of the glamour, it sounds glamorous. It was the most intense, uh, four months of my entire life. Um, basically, uh, we had a handful of potential acquirers and um, the CEO of Northwestern Mutual, his name is John Schlifsky, he's a wonderful person. Um, he came in the day before Thanksgiving. It was Wednesday, um, uh, 2014, before Thanksgiving. He said, are you free? I'm going to be in New York. I'd love to sit down for a few hours. And I said, uh, I am free, but in fact, I was supposed to be cooking Thanksgiving dinner for everybody and my 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 then husband, uh, my husband now. Um, but I, we just got married for his whole family, and I, of course, overnight had to be like, how do I juggle that? Um, but we sat together and we kind of kicked off this process of potentially merging the businesses. And um, uh, at that point, I'd just been the cover of Forbes. Uh, found out actually a week after that that I was pregnant on the cover of Forbes because I then found out I was pregnant. Um, so when I was sitting there with the sea of Northwestern Mutual, I was about five months pregnant. And um, we said, let's try to figure out if it makes sense to go through this acquisition. And um, we put our head down in earnest and gave them the chance to acquire us. And we literally finished the acquisition on March 25th of 2015. And I had my, my first child, my daughter, Toby, that weekend. So the final week of our acquisition, I was going through an acquisition. I was nine months pregnant, not even eight months, nine months pregnant. Um, and I just remember, uh, and you couldn't tell a soul, we were deep in all of these logistics and legal legalities and everything that goes into it. And we announced, and the next, that was Wednesday, I told the whole team Wednesday afternoon, Thursday, the CEO and I did about nine television spots. Uh, Friday, I did a full stand-up to the team, walked through all of the plans, and then went home, went to sleep, and woke up in labor. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't know how to survive. Like, it was just, like, if you if you ever worried if you can, like, go to a fifth gear or sixth gear, like, I always joked, I learned I had an extra gear that I didn't know existed, which is when things are truly that crazy and that insane, um, I just go to a very calm place, and I just I almost go to like this Zen place that I am not normally, um, and we just got through it. And so I, so I would just say it's not a minute of that was glamorous was my point. It was incredibly stressful. It was a exceptional amount of hard work. Um, it was nonstop. Um, and then on the other side of having, you know, my first child and I always joke you, people are like, wow, you planned that so well. And one of the things about entrepreneurship that's worth saying is there really are no boundaries between your personal life and your work life because your entire work life is your life. It's like you pour every ounce of your energy and soul and passion and, and commitment into that. Um, and, uh, so, so my, 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 my main point of this is like, 
not a moment of that was glamorous. It was incredibly stressful, but it was also really wonderful. And I believed in what we were doing and um, the outcome was fantastic for the team and for our customers um, and for, for Northwestern Mutual. And um, I was really proud of it, but um, it also happened to coincide with the most important thing happening possible in my personal life. And so I, uh, it was really just about me keeping my mental train on the track. Um, and that took every ounce of my effort. Wow. I mean, that's a really impressive story. And I love the fact that you said that anybody can achieve an exit. I think that will give a lot of inspiration to students across the country and the world. You've mentioned a bit about your latest venture. You're now the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital. What motivated you to start your own firm and how is your investing strategy unique? So um, so first, uh, we are $200 million. Um, we are seed in Series A. Uh, we are located in New York City. Uh, the words came out of my mouth one day. I literally said it's inspired capital because it's capital that knows how to build businesses and is exceptionally good at it. Um, we have four business partners uh, who make up the firm. And one of them is Penny Pritzker, who's also on the board of Harvard, by the way, and Microsoft and put Obama in the White House and uh, was uh, Secretary of uh, Commerce for President Obama. So her literal job was to run business for the country. Um, so she herself is a serial entrepreneur. She was the um, she's part of the, the, the Hyatt um, business and also uh, was chairman of TransUnion and a bunch of other really important businesses is the headline. Um, and she, just like me, loves to build businesses. It's her passion. She is really committed to it. Another one of our uh, founders is uh, named Lucy Deland, who was also Harvard undergrad with me. Uh, she was one of the co-founders of Paperless Post, which I'm sure many of you have used before. Um, and then the, the fourth partner, his name's Mark Batian. Um, he went to Princeton. I'm just kidding. He did go to Princeton. Um, but uh, he's a phenomenal uh, uh, business partner of mine. I've worked with him for a decade. He's brilliant. Um, and what makes us really unique as a firm is we've literally built and scaled 10 businesses. Um, we love to do it. We would do it for free. And we kind of came together and said, let's build a firm um, out in New York uh, where it's East Coast based because uh, we believe that the East Coast is absolutely thriving from an entrepreneurship capacity. Um, and then what makes us a little unique is um, you know, Lucy and I were some of the kids in New York City building companies when there was really no New York tech scene. Uh, you know, we worked out of the Starbucks and, uh, and you know, Soho House because there wasn't really a co-working space to go to. Um, there was one angel fund that would give you 50K. And now, uh, you know, we, we are lucky to be friends with probably every major person who gives capital to a startup in New York. And, you know, we were really the kids for a decade building and being part of that New York City tech ecosystem. And so what's wonderful um, for us is that we are, um, you know, I, I, I joke, it's our intellectual playground to build businesses. And so we came together and said, let's build a different type of firm where we can really know the challenges of the founder. We know them firsthand. We can help in different ways. Um, but then also, you know, our, our vision is we invest, we're a generalist fund. We invest in companies of all shapes and sizes. We love the wilder ideas out there. You know, we live 10 years into the future. So we want to hear about you know anything that's crazy, bloodless blood, right? All the way to uh, you know when we have driverless cars, what it, what does our everyday world look like? The future of work, um, the passion economy. Uh, you know we think a lot of things are being disrupted minute by minute right now. Uh, uh, and my kind of headline for COVID is we woke up and you know we started the world in 2020, but we're going to end it 
this year in 2030. And so um, we really are there to focus on uh, the future. And I think it's just a different type of capital when you know we're not just investors. We All of us happen to have been great investors, um, but we are also the operators. And I think that just really brings a different type of partner to the table um, when you know that we've, we've walked the walk, we've uh, literally been in the boat. Um, and the thing that we always say to founders that we want to back, we say, we will literally get in the boat with you and we will be the first to start rowing because we know that you need your capital to be as focused on building the business and honestly, um, as hardworking um, as the founder. And so that's kind of what we bring to the table. And that's our commitment to our founders. And our, if you go to our website right now, there's only one thing on it, and it's our mission statement. Uh, and it's, a, a, you know, that's kind of the integrity we bring to our work. You've just mentioned a lot of great insights on why a particular founder would want to take your investment over maybe somebody else's investment because, again, it's not just the cash or the capital that the founder is looking for in bringing the company to the next level. It's about finding the right partner, and you've just made the case for why your fund um, differentiates itself. Recent studies show that only 29% of venture capital firms with $100 million to $250 million in assets have any female check writers at all. As the founding partner of a firm that has raised a $200 million fund, what has been your experience as a female investor and founder? Yeah, so um, one thing I will say is uh, I hope I am forging a new path for all women in business. And what I mean by that was, if I ever thought about the odds of what I was doing, I don't think I would have ever done it, right? I was a sole female founder in fintech, the intersection between engineering and finance of which like I was, you know, that, that alone has 1% of females or whatever the sad numbers are. Um, and I just always said, I want to be the hardest working. I want to be the, 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 the person who you want to be with you, who's going to go build. And I, I want to bring high integrity and high conviction and, and, you know, really high IQ to, to everything that we do. Um, so that was learn best. And then, you know, all of the great things happened. I think we were one of the largest female exits of the decade and blah, 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 a lot of other things. Um, you know, technically was one of the first women on a cover of magazine pregnant, um, in business. And I, I honestly just never viewed my career that way. So the point I'm saying of all of that is like, if I ever viewed the world as um, being a woman, I think it probably would have been pretty daunting. Um, with Inspired Capital, um, we are a generalist fund. We invest in founders of all shapes and sizes, all types, all ages, all backgrounds. Um, we invest around the country, out of the country. So, you know, we really are a generalist fund. We happened, I, I think, to be, um, and again, I should probably even know this, but I, it's just so not a focus for us to your point of like, um, I think we're one of the largest female venture funds uh, that has, you know, the most female partners and blah, blah, all of those things, but I don't care um, because we are not a female focused fund. Um, we are here to just be one of the best funds and that's our ambition and that's our goal. And we want to be a really special fund that founders truly feel so convicted that they want to get our capital um, because we really want to stand out and we want to, we want to work extra hard and we want to make our founders more successful. Um, and that is, I think our main commitment and that's the only thing we really care about. So I often, I kind of go back to my point of, you know, I, I, I don't focus on who I am. I focus more on how we can be better for the partners and, and for our founders. That's the only thing we really care about. Um, is being the first phone call when somebody's stressed out, being the first phone call when something goes horrifically wrong, because it will. We, we actually promise our founders, we're like, you will have some of the darkest days of your life. Um, 
in fact, we, we can't tell you that that's gonna maybe happen. We're positive it will happen. You will have some of the darkest days of your life. And we want to be the phone call that you make when you're really scared. Um, and so that's the only thing we care about. It's great to hear the realistic side of the founder's journey and that there will be the lowest of lows and the highest of highs. And you as a fund will act as a great sounding board to um, those founders that you're supporting. So I'm going to pass off the next set of questions to Georgia. Hi, I'm Georgia. And um, when you say you hope you're forging forward a new path for women in business, I can say at least just for us three on the call, everything you're doing is so inspired and like you're such an amazing role model. And just as a someone who has the entrepreneurial bug myself and wants to one day go into investing as well, it's just really amazing to hear your journey. So impressive. Uh, I like the word you picked. Uh, <laughs> I agree. It's inspired. Um, but no, thank you, Georgia. Um, and I, I really mean it. I, I want to repeat it because it, I always felt like people who were so successful were so special and so untouchable. And I think everything about me is not that. Uh, uh, I was born in Kentucky, grew up in Jacksonville, Florida to uh, parents that were in the army and um, medicine. Uh, later in life was raised by a single mom. I mean, truly a lot of things that I think are really important to say out loud because I want to remind people that um, hard work can, can go really far. Most definitely. And something that really stuck out to me is when you're talking about your friend Penny and you being in Soho House or Starbucks and really having to just find your own office and working together. Um, it really is kind of that peer-to-peer -peer collaboration, but then also sometimes a more mentor um, role that can help guide your journey, especially in the early days of a company. Um, so have you had a mentor or one person that really shaped your career trajectory and could you tell us about them? Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll state the obvious in Penny, which is why we ended up um, teaming up and partnering. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things I admired about Penny was uh, she simultaneously has probably, I think, one of the most impressive careers of anybody I've ever met um, in all sectors of life. She was on, uh, you know, she helped build businesses, found businesses, was at the chair person of roles of many businesses. Um, she is brilliant. She was Harvard and then Stanford for business and law. So really, really smart. Um, but then most importantly, is also just a really, really high integrity person. You know, she, she leads with integrity. Um, and I think that's a really important thing to repeat because we, we live in a world sometimes where I worry that young people, um, think, you know, uh, taking shortcuts or, um, you know, integrity is everything your reputation is all you have and I, I want to repeat that because I do think we live in a world sometimes where um, I don't know that that's what we see every day on TV um, and I think uh, anyway so what I loved about Penny she also has a family she's a wonderful husband two kids and I think you can do it all and I think that um, as a woman as I think the world is rapidly evolving I mean let's hooray for the incredible ways where we are seeing equality everywhere and it should have existed forever ago and i'm thrilled that every day we're all fighting to make sure that um we stand for equality of all shapes and sizes and all types of equality um i think it's just amazing to have um mentors that let you see that you you can have kids and you can have a career and you can do both and um so that's one and then the other person i'll just say uh, to say quickly um, my mom, um, you know, my mom uh, is a pediatric nurse practitioner. She's 72. She still works every single day. Um, she's not one of these people who wants to retire. She believes if you've God-given talents, um, you should do hard work. Um, and she used to say to me growing up, 
Alexa, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And I actually have now edited what she has taught me. And it's actually the opposite. It's do what you love and you'll actually work every day of your life, but you will love it because you will love your job. And for me, Inspired Capital is truly a, a, I pinch myself. It's a job where I get to do what I love every day. I get to help entrepreneurs. I get to see the future. I get to listen to the most brilliant people um, and then help them go achieve critical things that are making the world a better place for us to live. Like, holy smokes, I can't believe that's a career. Um, and I literally do. So uh, I'll end. I, I told my mom, I'm like, mom, you were wrong. It's do what you love and you will work every day of your life with no boundaries to your personal life um, and take everything really seriously because you will care so much. Um, and I think that's just a better way to think about your career. Yeah. And I think I've always personally been dissatisfied with how people define like work-life balance or those sorts of things. And how do you find that? And that's like one of the best answers I've ever heard in terms of it's not work, but it is work also simultaneously because the two just become one at a certain point when you're so immersed in that journey. A hundred percent. And in fact, uh, you know, as a, uh, as a poster child of the working mom, I have three kids. I have a five-year-old, a two-year-old, and a one-year-old, um, which is totally wild to do while I'm doing all of this. Um, but I think one of the things I, I kind of proactively like to say, people have asked me for a decade, what's my like work-life balance tips? And I'm like, huh? And I finally, it literally took me until the last 12 months to be able to say, love your job. Everything else works. You will figure it out because you will care and you will care so much that you will juggle it. And it doesn't mean it's easy every day, but it really is meaningful. And I think when you find that meaning quotient at your job, everything's worth it. It's so much more fun. Um, and my kids know I love work and they think mommy, when I go to work, I'm like, I, I don't say mommy, I'm so sorry, has to go to work. I say mommy is so excited to go to work. Work is awesome. And it's just a different way to think about your career. That's amazing. And now your work is obviously with Inspired Capital. Um, and then just circling back to when you were at the beginning and that young, relative, relatively young first time founder, and you raised your $75 million for LearnVest. What was that experience like for you? And how do you think it's changed? Um, or what efforts are you making now that you're in the position of being the check writer um, to change what that experience was maybe like? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll just quickly say uh, we raised $75 million over five rounds. The first round was the hardest. It always is. Getting up and running is is pretty brutal, but I also did it like truly at the bottom of the recession in 2008, so it was especially fun uh, to get up and running. It was really hard. Um, I, the one thing I'll say that I bring to founders today is I remember every no. Like, I remember how it stung, how it made me feel. And so one thing I do try to do, and, um, you know, we, we really care about doing it as well as you humanly can, is I try to help every founder we talk to. And keep in mind, there's only 24 hours in a day. But I care so much when we say no, um, because I, I really want to try to do one thing to either give a good intro, pass somebody along to something that's going to help them, invite them to something that I think where they can, you know, improve their community, meet some other founders who will help them more. Um, and one of the things I do, uh, and, and, uh, we do it at inspired and it has nothing to do with even our career. Um, once a month pre COVID, hopefully we'll return to, to doing this soon, but, um, I would have a dinner once a month at my apartment where I would invite 10 to 12 founders, um, just to come over for food, uh, pizza, rosé. And it was really about them getting to make friends in the community with other really smart people. 
Um, and so people that we'd say no to, I would try to make sure we invited at least a few of them to these dinners to broaden their community. And it, again, I, I do that all because I remember every no. Um, and I'll actually end by saying on that, um, my husband, Cliff, he was Harvard 2005. Um, we got married in the night of our wedding. He gave a speech in front of 350 of our guests. Um, and the entire speech he gave was about how he fell in love with me during the six months of me pe of people telling me no, because he would see just how resilient I was. But he would literally talk about coming home and he would just see sometimes tears just like coming down my face while I was still working. And he, he, he was like, you know, everyone looks at Alexa and remembers the glamour and the excitement and like, you know, um, all of these fancy, incredible things and magazine covers and best-selling books. And he was like, but I actually have seen every time everyone said no and just, you know, uh, how, how much she believes in what she does. And so I say all of that again, just to give the humanity to the fact that um, we try to bring it inspired capital, a different level of humanity because we know it. Uh, and LearnBest was not an easy business to build. It was really hard. It was hard for me every day. That's amazing. And to close out, what we always like to ask, since this podcast is called The Bottom Line, and like Jess said, we're aiming to get to the hottest and most controversial takes, is what is your hottest take? Um, I love it. No, I mean, I think I just, I, I almost said it, which is we started this year in 2020, we're ending in 2030. And I think what we're going to see, it's going to be a really rocky, I believe, next 24 months. But I think what we're seeing is just an advancement of a lot of pretty critical things. I think how we think about work, and I, I was saying this to my some of my best friends last night, actually, which is, I think that the future of what this world looks like is not us going back to pre-COVID and then taking away things we don't want. I think this is our new baseline, and we're going to add back the things that make sense, right? Which is like, We'll add back in um, travel and work in a way that makes sense. We'll add back in in-person meetings in a way that makes sense. We'll add back in the ways we would spend time. I think we got to this world where it was just go, 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 go. That was not sustainable. It's not good for the planet. It's not good for the country. Um, additionally, I think we're going to start from a place of equality and we're going we're gonna to assume that, and at least this is my point of view, is um, and we're going to demand equal rights for everybody. And I think that is our new normal. And I think, thank God, it should have happened forever ago, um, based on my own personal beliefs. Um, and then I think what we're going to see digitally is so much can happen digitally so quickly. And I think, you know, my mom, my 72-year-old mom was doing Zoom, in, you know, Zoom uh, patient calls. And I looked at my mom and I was like, I'm proud of you, mom. That is really impressive. And I think we're just going to find that we can do so much leveraging technology. Um, that said, we're going to miss humans. Um, and so I think we'll get back there. But you know, the medical community is globally connected for the first time ever, because it has to be as we fight this disease and, and this virus together. And so um, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I really believe that we're headed towards a better world. I think it's going to be rocky getting there because we're going to again, advanced a decade in a short period of time. Um, but I'm an optimist to my core. I believe that people are good. I believe that the world, we, we, we will band together as a society. And I'm really proud of the future that I think we can see. Well, that's a beautiful note to end on. And thank you so, so much. Um, again, just echoing that you are like truly such a role model to all of us. And it's been an honor and a pleasure to have you on this podcast. 
wonderful. And I'll just add for everybody listening, um, you can follow me. I'm just at Alexa Von Tobel or at Inspired Capital and you can DM us. And we actually, I personally answer every message that goes there. Um, so feel free. It's a great way to quickly reach out. It's even more efficient um, than my inbox. Um, and then thank you all for having me. I'm so grateful. And for everyone listening out there, swing big. And that's the bottom line. Thanks so much for listening. If you are a company or individual interested in working with us, email us at hello at harvardventures.org and follow us on Instagram at harvard underscore ventures. Tune in next week for a new episode of The Bottom Line.